You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the lost, the mysterious, and the murdered. Before we begin this episode, I want to caution you there is questionable language as well as graphic and disturbing descriptions of violence. If you are squeamish, enjoying a meal, or are listening with young children, you may want to save this episode for another time. We all agree that I died because of what happened. There isn't any disputing it. Baseball bat to the skull three or four times, well, that can finish you off. Not everyone agrees why the fight happened in the first place. My friends say he started it. He says that I started it. That he mocked me for being Asian. That he blamed me because he'd been laid off from Chrysler. That's what one of the dancers said happened. Before things got out of hand. Before the police got involved. Before... Look, we all agree that I was brutally beaten outside of a fast food restaurant. That his stepson held me while he hit me with a wooden baseball bat. That I broke away from Michael Nutz and made a run for it. But I fell and Ronald Evans caught up with me as I lay in the middle of the road. Evans hit me with the bat until my blood and brains were leaking onto the pavement. I wasn't dead, though. Not yet. I would live a few more days. They would hold my funeral the day that I should have married Vicky. Let me tell you my story. A story that starts in China, weaves its way through Metro Detroit, and ends in the odd little city of Highland Park. In the street, out in front of a restaurant, with me mortally wounded, laying on the concrete as police, their weapons drawn, demand that my attacker put his weapon down. My parents were Chinese. My dad served in the U.S. Army during World War II. My mom came directly from China, arriving in Highland Park, a new bride, in the years following the war. Highland Park is where I grew up. It's a very small city, surrounded by the much larger city of Detroit. Highland Park started out as a rural farming community in the 1800s. But in 1907, Henry Ford built a big auto plant there, and this created an indelible link with the auto industry. Not just Ford Motor Company. Chrysler had their headquarters in Highland Park for many years. That's where I grew up, at least until my dad was mugged in 1971. Then my folks said enough of the city living, and we moved northwest, away from Detroit to the city of Oak Park. My parents were very happy, both together and in their home in Highland Park. Unfortunately, my mother struggled to have a child. There was a heartbreaking miscarriage in 1949, and my parents saved their money and adopted me from China in 1961 when I was six years old. I was Chinese like my parents, but I was an American too. I rode bikes and read comic books and did the things American boys do. You might have seen my graduation picture. Oak Park High School, class of 1973. My black hair is long and thick, and you can just see the beginnings of a mustache. Many of the news outlets ran a picture of my mother, my poor heartbroken mother, holding my graduation photo after my death. She was a widow at that point. My father died just months before I did. After high school, I waited tables. If you ever dined at the Golden Star Restaurant in Ferndale, maybe I served you. When I wasn't at the restaurant, I was in school. 
I went to trade school. I worked hard, and by 1980, I had a job as a draftsman at an engineering firm. Back then, computer science was an emerging field, and I was part of that field because I was smart and I studied. I didn't want to work at a restaurant like my old man did. I didn't want to spend my life in a factory like mom, even with the drafting job. I worked weekends at the restaurant. I was going to buy a house for Vicky. First the wedding, then a honeymoon in Aruba. Then, whatever we wanted, we had a bright future. The wedding was less than a week away. The guys wanted to take me out. You know, stag night, bachelor party, whatever you want to call it. There were five of us. We headed into the city and found ourselves back in Highland Park, my old neighborhood. There was a strip club, fancy pants. You know, lots of girls, throw some money around, have some drinks, party a little. We might have been a little drunk. There was booze flowing and dollars being slipped into G-strings. Racine was dancing. So was Starla. Pretty girls. Nearly naked girls. I was having a good time. Fancy Pants was a fun place for a young guy with money in his pocket. Across the stage from me were a couple of guys. I'm not sure what the issue was, but they didn't like me. Maybe they were offended that Starla wasn't my type or that Racine paid a little too much attention to us. They were making comments, talking shit. It was making me angry. I'm just here to have a good time, see the girls, maybe get a dance, and have a few drinks. My buddy Jimmy tried to calm me down. He told me to ignore them. He said, don't let them bug you. But I wasn't having it. These guys, they were pissing me off. So I went over there, and, well... This is where things get confusing. Some people say that I sucker punched him. Well, Ronald Evans will tell you that. Michael Nitz, too. Others say that I shoved him, or that I threw a chair. We can't agree on what happened. Not Ronald, not Michael, not Racine, or Starla, or Jimmy. Maybe there was no provocation. Or maybe they heard racial slurs directed at me, egging me on for a fight. Words like chink and jap and nip. When's the last time you heard that one? Whatever the reason for the fight, the bouncers intervened. They threw us out. Evans and his stepson, me and my four friends. Outside the bar, there were more big words tossed around by drunken men. But we went our separate ways. My friends apologized to Ebens and Nitz for the fight, but when we left the club, we were pretty worked up. Back out on the street, a hot summer night in Highland Park. Ebens and Nitz were still pissed, either at me or at being tossed out of the bar or both. My friends and I were disappointed. Some bachelor party. Up the street was a fast food place. We were all a little drunk and it sounded good. We headed for the burger place. Nitz went to his car and got a baseball bat. Evans took the bat from his stepson, and they went looking for us. Sure, I'd called Evans a chicken shit, but if you believe witnesses inside the bar, Evans thought it was my fault the auto companies were in trouble. Me, a Chinese kid raised in the center of the automotive universe, Detroit. Me. I work for an auto supplier. It's not my fault Toyota's having a good year. The hell with these guys. Look, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't get to have that sandwich. 
It isn't fair. That's the last thing I said to anyone. Even spotted us. We were standing outside the burger place. He ran across the road, his stepson following close behind. It isn't fair. Two off-duty cops down the street watched the scene unfold. Nitz held me while Eben started swinging the bat. I broke free from Nitz and made a run for it, trying to get away from them. As I crossed Woodward Avenue, I slipped and fell. Evans was right there with the bat, and he kept swinging. He didn't stop hitting me until Highland Park police, with their guns drawn, ordered him to drop the weapon. Still, he hesitated before doing as they instructed. An ambulance was called. The hospital was right there, but it wasn't close enough. Not when your head's cracked open. When interviewed, Evans would bring up the sucker punch in the bar. That somehow my hitting him is what led to him tracking me down as much as 20 minutes after we'd separated and hitting me over and over and over again with a baseball bat. Hitting me until my body was so broken that the paramedics thought I was already dead. I was 27 years old when I died on June 23, 1982, my mother's birthday. My mother, who'd been planning a wedding and dreaming of grandchildren, she began planning a funeral. Vicky, my beautiful bride-to-be, wouldn't get her wedding or the house I'd been saving for. She wouldn't get to splash in the waters off Aruba. It all slipped away that night in Highland Park. It isn't fair. I identified myself as a police officer. I showed him a badge and an ID card. I had my weapon drawn. I asked him to drop the baseball bat. He hesitated, at which time he eventually dropped the baseball bat. But at that particular time, the damage had been done. When we pulled up, we found that it was an oriental gentleman. His skull was obviously fractured. There was brains laying on the street. And uh, Chin was obviously in a fatal condition. He wasn't dead yet. He was semi-conscious. But, you know, from my experience of being on the street for so long, the man was a goner. This is where Vincent's life ends, and the rest of our story begins. Ronald Evans, age 44, was arrested at the scene by the same officers who witnessed the attack. He and his stepson, Michael Nitz, age 23, were charged with second-degree murder after Vincent succumbed to his injuries. Evans worked as a foreman at Chrysler. The United Auto Workers, the union representing Chrysler employees, told management that the lines would strike if Evans was allowed to return. In July of 1982, Chrysler put Evans on unpaid leave. Evans and Nets hired lawyers who helped the men plead no contest to manslaughter. A no contest plea is where the defendant does not accept or deny responsibility for the charges, but they agree to accept punishment. On March 18, 1983, Wayne County Circuit Court Judge Charles Kaufman sentenced them to three years of probation, a $3,000 fine, and $780 in court costs. The two police officers who witnessed the attack were not called to court. Vincent's friends who witnessed the attack were not called to court. The prosecutor wasn't even in court. This was common at the time, because there was a plea on the table. They didn't show up for the court hearing. In 1982, 
Wayne County prosecutors appeared at only 250 of the thousands of sentencing proceedings where a plea was involved. Wayne County prosecutor William Cahalan explained that this occurred frequently due to a lack of resources. The attorneys representing Evans and Nitz stressed that these were law-abiding men with jobs, family men, men involved in a bar fight that got out of hand. The fact that Evans' bat-wielding attack took place 20 minutes after the men left the bar was not brought up. That Evans and Nitz drove around looking for Vincent Chin was not brought up. There was no one in court to contradict the story being told by defense attorneys. Vincent's mother was at home that day, waiting to hear what happened. At 5 o'clock, she called a friend and said, Why did no one call me? No one wanted to call her. No one wanted to tell a mother that the life of her only child was worth $3,000, that the man who had chased down her son and beaten him was not going to jail. Judge Kaufman looked at the perpetrators, men who ended Vincent's life in the same town where Vincent grew up. He saw a young man who was a college student and an older man who'd worked at Chrysler for almost 20 years. He looked at these men and said, quote, These are not the kind of men you send to jail. At the end of March 1983, Chrysler formally terminated Evans' employment. In 1988, Evans would file suit against Chrysler for wrongful termination, but the court would side with Chrysler, and once again, Evans would be ordered to pay court costs. Michael Nitz did make good on his portion of the money owed to Chen's family. In 1986, he filed for bankruptcy. He has essentially disappeared from the public eye. The violent murder and light sentence spurred something within the Asian-American community. Groups that normally did not join together found common ground here. Japanese and Chinese, Korean and Filipino and Vietnamese, they were horrified that one of them, an Asian-American, could be killed in such a cold-blooded fashion and the perpetrators not serve a single day behind bars. In Detroit, on March 31, 1983, the American Citizens for Justice was founded. They had one goal, get a federal trial for Chen's murderers. Three women led the charge, journalist Helen Zia, lawyer Liza Chan, and Lily Chen, Vincent's mother. Their efforts paid off. On June 5, 1984, federal prosecutors charged Evans and Nitz with violating Vincent Chen's civil rights. Vincent Chen was the first Asian-American victim prosecuted under federal hate crime laws. The trial of Ronald Evans and Michael Nitz was held in federal court and lasted just over three weeks. Nitz was acquitted, but Evans was sentenced to 25 years. Finally, justice for Vincent. It was short-lived. Evans' attorneys filed an appeal saying witnesses were improperly coached. The appeal was granted. A new trial was scheduled. In October of 1986, the Detroit newspaper Sunday Magazine did a feature story on the tragic deterioration of Lily Chin since her son's death. Judge Taylor concluded that this story would influence the jury pool. The case would be transferred to Cincinnati in the Southern District of Ohio. On May 1, 1987, the jury in Cincinnati acquitted Ronald Evans and Michael Nutz. Almost five years had passed since Chin's murder, and neither of the perpetrators had served jail time. Neither man would serve any time in jail for their role in Chin's death. 
In July 1987, a civil suit ordered Evans to pay $1.5 million at $200 per month for the first two years, or $200 per month thereafter to the family of Vincent Chen. Evans would not pay. As of 2012, with fines and interest, he owes the Chen family nearly $8 million. It's unlikely they'll ever see any of that money. At the end of 1987, Lily Chen was a defeated woman. She was alone. The house in Oak Park was sold, and she returned to China. Her heart and her spirit were broken. Around 2001, Lily Chen returned to the United States to seek treatment for cancer. She died in June of 2002, just before the 20th anniversary of her son's death. She was 82 years old. Lily Chin was buried beside her husband and son in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Detroit, Michigan. In the late 1980s, Ronald Evans remarried and moved to Nevada. He retired not long after Lily Chin lost her battle with cancer. Now he gets by on Social Security. In a 2012 interview around the 30th anniversary of Chin's slang, Evans offered an apology. Quote, I'm sorry it happened. And if there's any way to undo it, I would. At the time of Chin's murder, three important pieces of legislation did not yet exist. Mandatory sentencing guidelines were not used in Michigan until 1984. A judge may depart from the guideline sentence range only where there are, quote, substantial and compelling, end quote, reasons to do so. If a defendant has no prior record, then the minimum sentence for second-degree murder is 90 to 150 months, or about 7 to 12 years. The maximum penalty by statute would be life in prison. Hate crime legislation would be introduced in Michigan in 1988. There is ongoing debate as to whether Chin's death came because his assailants were angry about the decline of U.S. automakers in the face of rising Japanese dominance in the industry, or if this was just a bar fight that got horribly and tragically out of hand. Finally, victim impact statements were not offered. In 1985, the Crime Victims' Rights Act created rights of notification and participation for felony crime victims in Michigan. In 1983, Vincent's mother and fiancé were not invited to address the court and explain the depth of loss and grief they felt upon losing a son and a husband in such a cold-blooded manner. I would like to think that had Judge Kaufman seen Lily Chin still reeling from the loss of her husband while burying her only child... He would not have found probation and a nominal fine appropriate consequences for what happened that summer night. In 1989, a shockingly similar crime took place in Raleigh, North Carolina. Chinese-American Jim Liu was playing pool with his friends, some of whom were also Asian-American. Brothers Robert and Lloyd Pichet, who had lost a sibling during the Vietnam War, took exception to Liu's presence at the bar. The Pichet brothers mocked them, made derogatory, racially-based comments, and tried to draw other white patrons into their harassment of the group. Robert and Lloyd waited until the group left and jumped them in the parking lot. Holding off his friends at gunpoint, they beat Jimmy Liu. Liu suffered significant head trauma and died of his injuries two days later. Asian-American groups, with Vincent's case fresh in their memory, rallied behind Liu's friends and family. The Pichet brothers were convicted in state court. Robert Pichet, who repeatedly struck Lou in the head with a pistol, would serve 10 years of a 37-year sentence for second-degree murder. 
In 2016, there is continued interest in Chin's case. There are college courses that focus on changes his death had on Asian Americans. Today, people speak his name as a reminder of the dangers of being other and the importance of sticking together to build and strengthen the Asian American community. Before we wrap up, I want to thank Trisha Breslin for answering my questions about legislation discussed in this episode. Any mistakes contained here belong to me. Walking down the street uh, from my girlfriend's house, and uh, I seen some guys across the street over there, and I uh, went over to see if they need any help. They said they needed some help, and they was going to offer me $20 to catch these Chinese guys that they got into it with. So we got into their car. The father was saying, you know, when we catch up with these Chinese guys, we're going to bust their motherfucking heads like that. And as we got up to McDonald's, the father seen the two Chinese guys sitting down. And I told them that the police was there. They said, fuck the police. Mr. Evans and Mr. Nitz jumped out from behind the truck, attempted to grab Vincent Chin. He ran out here to the middle of the street, and he stopped. He slipped. Mr. Evans was standing over him with a baseball bat. He had it with both hands, and he was hitting him in the top of his head. He swung the bat as if a baseball player was swinging for a home run, full contact. Thank you for listening to the Already Gone podcast. You can subscribe to the Already Gone podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Already Gone Pod. Visit our website at www.alreadygonepodcast.com. I welcome your feedback, suggestions for episodes, and reviews. As this is a new podcast, I appreciate your patience and understanding as we find our footing. Thank you for listening. Be safe. up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.